Well, hello, Northampton Elim. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you. I am Pastor Stephen McEwen, the senior leader of E5 Church here in Bristol. And like you, we're an Elim Pentecostal church, so I feel at home. I feel like I'm with family today. Um, I've heard amazing things about your church, and I know you're blessed because I know you've got some incredible leaders there in Pastor Jason and Pastor Linda. So I consider it a real privilege to be able to share the word of God with you today. Um, I've been asked to preach from Joshua chapter 6, and the title of my message is this, The Victory That's In Your Mouth. The Victory That's In Your Mouth. So I'm just going to just pray as we start, if that's all right. Father, we thank you for your presence amongst us today. We thank you for this powerful passage that we're about to read, this real event that has so much application for our lives today. Holy Spirit, would you come and lead us into all truth and anoint the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's get into it. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. And it says this here. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in, in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. I want to talk about unusual strategies, un underestimated weapons and unconditional praise. Firstly, unusual strategies. The Old Testament is full of battles won with unusual tactics. Remember Gideon? God deliberately depleted his 30,000 strong army to 300 men, just 300 men. And then he sent, out, he sent them out with torches and trumpets. We know how nervous Gideon was already, but now God does these measures, these strategies to reduce him down so that he would get all the glory and that Gideon would have to rise in his faith. What about David with a slingshot against a giant? Our God has some unusual ways to bring about victory. And in the passage that we've just read, we see some more strange tactics. We see seven days of walking around without any weapons being drawn. It's a, it's, it's a strange request, but we see that it works. And it tells the story of this generation, this Joshua generation, who were now bolder and more confident in the things of God, they were now stepping in to take hold of their inheritance in God. Let's remember that Joshua um, was uh, initially, along with Caleb, entering the land with that boldness. But he saw his parents and the generations before him, well, they just ended up um, in unbelief and ultimately not entering the rest and the promise, the promise that God had. They spent 40 years walking around in unbelief, circles of unbelief. And it seems ironic now that the Joshua generation are now circling, but they're circling with purpose. Every Christian knows what it feels like to go around in circles. And sometimes we all find ourselves in those places where we're asking, is anything happening here? Where is the breakthrough? Sometimes 
doing the same things can make you question, is victory actually possible here in this area or this aspect of life? Those first six days of marching around Jericho must have drawn quite a bit of ridicule from the people inside the wall. They, they must have sat up on top of that wall looking down on them. You ever, had, you ever come across people that look down upon you and have got some questions for you like, are you still going to go to that church? Uh, how's that working out for you? You know, we've all had it. And I want to encourage you, being faithful in some of the most unremarkable, unspectacular places in your life can prove successful. They can produce victories because it's about faithfulness. You're not just walking around in circles. You are walking out the promises of God. And Joshua 1.3, that's, that's how we know what was happening because it says in Joshua 1.3, he says this to Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. When others look on and think you're walking in circles, you remind yourself you're walking out the promises of God and you're walking into your inheritance. That's what it means to be faithful. And God has equipped us for victory. He's, he's given us the means in which we need to to win battles. And, and we need to be those people that don't underestimate the weapons that he's given us. So to my next point, underestimated weapons can destroy unbreakable strongholds. Underestimated weapons can destroy unbreakable strongholds. The city of Jericho was an impregnable fortress. It was a stronghold. And as followers of Jesus, we have a new land set before us. But there are sometimes... Things in God that we have to fight for. Maybe there are dreams that seem walled off. Jesus may have won the war, but there are still battles for us to fight along the way. You see, we don't fight for victory. This is really important. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. This is, this is not about whether we're, we're saved or not. No, that's been, that's been dealt with upon the cross for us. That was a battle we couldn't win. He did it for us. He rescued us by his grace and we're saved by grace through faith in what he did for us. But this is now about our inheritance. And he wants us to grow in our authority as children. He wants us to, to know how to exercise the authority that comes by way of the cross. You know, when I first committed my life to Christ... There were just things that Jesus just lifted out of my life. The Spirit just moved upon me and delivered me of some stuff. I, I, when I was born again, I'd spent eight years prior to that just smoking weed continuously. And I, I couldn't break free of it. I couldn't break free of that pattern. It was such a powerful stronghold in my life. But the moment I repented and chose to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit just lifted that desire for those drugs out of me. And he instantaneously delivered me. But as I've walked with Jesus, and I know many of you will testify, we notice there are times where we come across strongholds that don't instantly break. And victories like this, they're victories that, that God's saying, I want to walk with you through this. I want to take you through this one. This isn't an instantaneous quick fix. This might be a truth encounter you need rather than a power encounter this might be a moment where I teach you and where I train you. Joshua uh, chapter 6, verse 2, uh, after hearing about how this, these walls were shut up and they couldn't get in, verse 2 says this, 
Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. You see, there's a deliverance that comes about by God delivering victory into your hands. That's what happened there. He said, you've already got the victory. Before they went anywhere near it, you've got it. It's in your hands. It's there for you. I was reminded of that verse in Philippians 4.12 where, it's, where it says that the, uh, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. This is a powerful reality. You know, we, before we even consider strongholds, we need to know that God has a stronghold on us. And once he has a hold in us, we can then begin to take hold of the future that he's got for us, for the dreams, for the plans, for the purposes. We can start to see strongholds broken down and all of what's um, hidden behind those walls coming to us. Our problem is we underestimate the very weapons that God gives us victory for. And our God is about empowerment. Jesus serve notice on the enemy, the devil. And he, he leads us now in a triumphal victory. That's what the Bible tells us. What took place on the cross was a legal, a legal transaction. It, it was a moment where Satan, who had every right to be in control of my life, lost that power. It was taken away from him by Christ. And when I decided to follow Jesus, that power was, that authority was restored to me. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. I remember watching uh, one of those documentaries of, um, you know, noisy neighbours, nightmare neighbours, and I watched this um, particular documentary where they had this terrible guy who was in this flat. He was terrorising all of the neighbours around with music, drug dealing. He was violent. He was aggressive. And they showed a clip of um, a, a, a little council worker suited up, not particularly tough or strong or big or loud, walking up to that door, knocking on the door. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy's going to get into a lot of trouble here. I don't think he can handle the guy behind that door. And he knocks on the door, and the door, guy comes to the door. He simply hands him his eviction notice. He went legal with him. And then he stepped aside and he allowed the police, the authorities that backed him and his notice of eviction to sweep in and to remove this man from that house. And that's what it's like for us. We are people who stand aside and stand in the authority of God and allow God to sweep in with his power to remove those, those, those um, barriers and those walls that are in our way. Maybe you feel uncomfortable with all this talk of the enemy. And I, and I often come across Christians that they struggle with some of this talk of spiritual warfare because they feel it's almost making an excuse, blaming the devil for something that we should be taking responsibility for in our own lives. And I think there is some elements of truth about that. There is a balance to be struck when it comes to spiritual warfare. Firstly, between, uh, on the one hand, we, we, we don't want to be those people that overestimate the enemy. We don't want to big him up. We want to glorify God. It's really important. But on the other hand, we don't want to underestimate the enemy. And, and as Paul, the apostle says, we don't want to um, be ignorant of his schemes. Another thing we don't want to do is to fall into the trap of blaming him for our own lack of obedience. 
You know, one of the central themes of this scripture is devotion. God is saying, listen, when you get your victory, you need to know how to sustain that victory. And you do that through devotion to me. They have to take these goods and they have to make sure they handle and steward what they've now received in the right way. Stewardship, there's no, there's no replacement for that. We need to do that to make sure that the victories and the breakthroughs that we have in God are sustained. But we've got to remember that spiritual warfare takes place on a number of fronts. And as I said before, with certain strongholds, we need specific weapons. And we've been given specific weapons at our disposal. This, I believe, is the application of Joshua 6. It's, it's this, that strongholds can exist in our thinking, in our behaviour, they can exist in, in our hearts when our devotion to God isn't right, when he isn't number one. They can exist in the communities and the cities and the towns around us, in the culture around us. And whether it's us um, taking captive those lies and those deceptions of the enemy, wherever they may be found, that whether it's the, a, a, a truth breakthrough that we need to have, whether it is um, a a cultural breakthrough that we need to make. There are specific strategies that the Lord gives us to break through. And, and for not just for individuals, but for churches. For churches. We need to know how to come against some of the worldviews and some of the human traditions and wrong thinking that surrounds us. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5 is all about. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. That's why the preached word is so important, that we get ourselves submitted underneath the preached word and hear it regularly. It says there, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds and demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive these thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 7, we find a different kind of weapon at our disposal. It says this, In truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left hand, through glory and dishonour, bad reports and good reports. Paul is talking about his conduct, um, his conduct and how uh, embracing and living in a different way acts as warfare against an environment and an atmosphere where things are ungodly, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left hand. And when churches engage in serving their communities, when they exercise generosity instead of greed, when they fight for justice instead of taking advantage of those that are marginalised and poor, when they're salt and light, they're wielding weapons of righteousness that break cultural strongholds. I believe Jericho points to one really important and clear weapon that we also need to understand. And perhaps if you're more comfortable with the weapons of righteousness, maybe you need to press into this one. And that's unconditional praise. It, unconditional praise, it defeats unseen enemies. What happened on that seventh trip around Jericho? What happened there? It looks as, as though God literally turned up and manifested to break the influence of the, 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 the demonic forces and the, the, everything that stronghold re represented. He literally turned up. Why did he turn up? He turned up because of this. 
God inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits the words that flow from your mouth that are glorifying, emphasizing his greatness and his power. He literally manifests. We need to know this. Psalm 22.3 says it like this. He inhabits, uh, some versions say this, he enthrones the praises of his people. As I was preparing this message, the Spirit of God reminded me of this. And he said this, when the, when the enemy inhabits our promises, we have to let God inhabit our praise. I want to say that again. When the enemy inhabits our promises, we have to let God inhabit our praise. He is the secret weapon. It's his presence hidden in those moments of glorifying him and lifting him up. And when you praise You unleash his very presence upon the strongholds that are in your life. I want to tell you that. It's not impractical. It's not weird. It's not flaky. It's powerful. Praise gives thanks for what he's about to do. It shakes the unseen realm and brings the reality of God's um, awesome power into our lives in some spectacular ways. And Pastor Jack Hayford, he puts it like this. Worship has the power to neutralise the the enemy's forces over God's people. Wherever the the spirit of worship is, with God enthroned and exalted, neither flesh nor demon can carry out their purposes. If you believe that in your heart, I want to ask you, what does your shout sound like today? What does your praise sound like today? Unconditional praise is so mystifying to the enemy. It confuses the enemy. It it causes the... It's like running fingernails down a chalkboard for the enemy. He he cannot understand this because we know Satan himself is a worshipper. That's what Isaiah 14 tells us. But he cannot get his, his head around this idea that we could suffer and struggle and not even see what we want, what we, the victory that we want, but we trust God and believe and press in with songs and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of praise. That shout that they gave out in Joshua 6, that was a cry of victory. I love it. It wasn't a hymn. It was a sound, you understand? It was coming from places within them that just cried out. There weren't words that were enough. And that's what praise is. It comes from deep places of gratitude and thanksgiving. Praise precedes our victories. It's not something that happens conditionally. It's not bound by conditions or circumstances. It's pure faith. Sometimes it's incredibly sacrificial. Sometimes we're just not feeling it. Sometimes it, it, it just has to, it can't be based on emotion or what we're going to get or any of that stuff. It's just got to come from a deep place, a deep shout. And the Bible makes a really clear distinction between praise and worship. Psalm 100 verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. There's an order there. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is all about um, giving gratitude and thanks for what God has done, his goodness. Praise focuses upon his greatness. But worship, that comes, that follows, that's a place of encounter with his holiness. And we see this in the scriptures. We see King David, he 
Psalm 103, we know it well. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. He's almost having to preach to himself. His spirit is preaching to his soul, his emotions, his mind. This part of him which engages with sometimes anxiety and fear with all that he's seen around him, his spirit within him is now saying, listen, forget not all his benefits. Come on, let's praise him. And praise for him starts in that place, but it spreads and it moves and it comes out of us in some powerful places where God can move. You know, it's been a really difficult year and I've spoken to so, some, so many Christians who've really struggled to break into moments of praise and encounter. You know, praise is an intentional decision and worship encounters are about intimacy. And I've spoken to people, they've struggled with this format of being at home and trying to really engage. But I want to tell you that God is doing something in this amongst us he's 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 done it in prayer in our church and he's doing it in praise he's showing us how these this private praise and private prayer coming away from the crowd and discovering what it means to be alone with God and to seek him for ourselves we don't want to forget those lessons of the last year but we want to bring them for our moments of corporate gathering when we first started returning back to church um last year I don't know if you remember this about having to walk into church and wear a mask and not be able to to sing but all of a sudden we were exploring ways of engaging with God's presence that were different and God was teaching and training us at times it felt difficult but it felt like this was God restricting and God holding us back I look at that Joshua 6 verse 10 where he's saying listen for six days hold back don't shout out Wait for the trumpet call. Wait for that gathering moment where we join together with one voice. It's not going to be a moment where we gather together and we start doing it because everybody else in the room is doing it. No, I think when we get back together, this is going to come from some deep places and it's going to produce some powerful results. We have been through some really tough moments in this last year. And to be able to praise God in the midst of that unconditionally, it is gold. I'm telling you, it's powerful breakthrough for us. I remember going to a football match a few years ago and um, the opposition fans. It's funny how men love to sing at football matches but might struggle to sing in church. Anyway, these guys were screaming at the top of their voices. They were saying this, sing when you're winning, you only sing when you're winning. Sing when you're winning. You only sing when you're winning. They they were mocking the opposition, saying, you're a part-timer. You're not really on it. You're not fully committed. You're not there when the team's losing. You're not there when things are going bad. And it just spoke to me. That's the kind of praise that God is calling us to. We're not circumstantial. We're not conditional. We're not consumer. All this stuff. These moments of watching on the screen have been difficult because sometimes they feed some really unhealthy places in us. And we need to press in beyond all that stuff 
and find some victories in God. I'm telling you, there are some addictions that can be broken in that. There is some um, dreams that can be resurrected there. There's some lies that the enemy's been bombarding your thoughts with that can be overwhelmed with the truth and the power of God's greatness. And I am looking forward to the day when churches around this nation would gather again together and they would gather with a shout, a shout that would break the sound barrier. I don't know if you've ever heard of these uh, sonic booms. We have these um, military planes that fly over our cities in this country and every now and then they'll break the sound barrier and what will happen is a sonic boom will come out. These sonic booms apparently are so powerful that they can damage structures. Do you know that? They can awaken people. And I'm believing that the church is going to gather again and we're going to let out a shout that's not going to be dictated to us or pushed out of us or, you know, manipulated or any of that stuff. It's going to come from some deep places now. If we come back with a reset mentality into praise and worship and into seeking God, I know that there is going to be a a breakthrough across this nation and in our cities that's going to be unprecedented. And I'm praying for you, Northampton Church. I'm believing that when you gather again, it's going to be different. I want to pray for you. Father God, right now, we want to start to enact and kind of appropriate and exercise the authority that we have in you so that we can step into the fullness of all that you've got for us. Lord, would you show us the right strategy for the right stronghold? And Lord, would you just pour out your spirit in these days upon your people? I pray for those seeking baptism in the Holy Spirit. I pray that they would know that it's it's in their praise. It's in their seeking of you. It's in calling upon your name, Lord. Breakthrough is coming. Lord, I just pray that over some people in that church, Lord, who are needing to see a breakthrough in their family and their home they would begin to release the power and the anointing of your spirit, Lord, as you inhabit their praises. In Jesus' name, amen.